Hebrews chapter 5, or Habakkuk chapter 5 this morning. From here we will not get into the initial part of chapter 6. Let's see how time goes. But where are we up to today, right? More than here, hold on by the way. Say it on that way. Don't give it to him. Look at where we're at, we can jump in our back this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity again to be in your word. Thank you for bringing us back to Hebrews after the celebration of your incarnation. And uh, so I pray you help us as we interact with the text this morning that we'll be challenged by who you are and what you've accomplished and what you're about. Lord, help us to be worthy of your kindness. I don't know about you, but I'm going to just say it real quickly. Uh, that first song that he's going to have to say, it's not going to hurt anymore. It's just popular out there. It's not the radio or. No. It's um, from a CD from the Melville Graves, which is part of a group formed with University Fellowship, uh, which basically is like a navigator. So I was thinking myself to a job college as a ministry. And part of that ministry is rewriting old hymn texts to update the melodies. Uh, and that was one of their CDs. Well, actually, it was a film track by that mercy. Those are the ones. By that mercy is the title of the album. Uh, it was free online. Yeah. It's an interesting song. Um, it really challenged me. Really appreciate that. Uh, I don't know if you listened to the words and you went through it, but I thought, as we were singing it, I was thinking, what a great picture of how we have prayer. It is such a rich, prayerful song. It identifies Christ, Jesus, Lord, light, and glory. In, in light of who Jesus is, the author of rising out Christ here. That then from heaven I gracious here, our waiting souls adore thee sinners here. Hear what he's acknowledging, the writer is acknowledging himself. Oh, sinner, right? Sound a little familiar? I like that prayer the first meeting in chapter. It was absolutely dangerous blindness from the hardening power of sin, from all malice and unkindness from the pride of which within by thy mercy over the us. By thy mercy over us. Interesting, interesting demonstration of biblical prayer, isn't it? The cry to God, Christ, recognizing who He is, recognizing His amazing grace that He gives to us. He gives to me, He gives to you. And then the begging, the imploring begging to God, Jesus, to deliver Him from these things and sacrifices. I appreciate especially the uh, fourth verse, the third fourth verse, when foundation shortly presses in the day of Satan's power, in our time of deep distress in each dark and trying hour. Verse 4 When the world around is smiling with time of wealth and ease, earthly joys are heart beguiling on the day of hell and peace. By the mercy of the cross. It's not just from the hard times that we're going through, but the crying out to God from the deceit of what the world offers. Interesting reminder. And then, of course, the last two verses 
Right at the end of the last song, it says, 
power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from his hand. And it kind of leads me to my message this morning. Because you're saying that last verse, it kind of struck me that, let me say, first of all, before we get that little phrase in the last slide, we said, uh, we're looking at a very difficult passage story. It's not difficult to understand, but it's difficult as in it is surgical. It's very surgical. The, the holy surgeon is picking up the scalpel in the message. And he is performing surgery, and it's a painful surgery, necessary surgery. It's um, important here. I'd like to use a little microcosm example of that from that last phrase, or the second last phrase that I read this morning. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. If you say amen to that. Amen, right? And we should say amen to that. But here's just a picture that I want to present to you because. I see it in my own life numerous times, and I see it in other people's lives as we speak as well about this kind of thing, this theological event that I see in that person, who's absolutely true. It's very interesting. Here's what I can do. This is a stepping off point, a theological point, a stepping off into the event this morning. Here in this text, in this song, they talk about a trust security. That those two lines talk about eternal security, we say absolutely. But when we talk about eternal security, our focus is usually on what? Yeah, it's upon the reality that I won't what? Go to hell, but instead I will what? Go to heaven, right? That's the typical focus. I, my, my salvation is secure, right? And we revel in that, and rightly so, correct? What's intriguing to me is I think that in my 58 and a half years, I forget the first couple years that I wasn't saved, I forget the first 22 years because I really wasn't connected with Jesus much in those first 22 years. But then even after I started learning correct theology, I started realizing and understanding theology, the truth of the truth of God, unusually. Short selling scripture dramatically. Short selling scripture and theology dramatically. To this point, this is an example. I would be up this idea of eternal security and wrong with that. And rightly so, but I would not find myself occupied taking the next step. And what's the next step? Let me help you out. What is it that we call ourselves? We call ourselves what? Christians, and it starts out with what word? Christ, right? Christ ones. That's what it means. Christ ones, doesn't it? We revel in the idea of we are eternally secure, but we don't find ourselves taking that what should be an automatic step to revel in the one who makes us secure. Does that make sense? We revel in the fact that we're eternally secure, but we don't find ourselves enthralled with, we're enthralled with this part. We're eternally secure, we're safe, we're secure, uh, he is trustworthy, on it. but we don't take the next step and be enthralled with the one who is the guarantee, or the guarantor, whatever the term is. Right? We don't find ourselves reveling in that. We don't find ourselves reveling in that one. We find ourselves too often reveling in 
the thing that has been accomplished, not the one who has accomplished it. We'll fight for term security. Right? We'll fight for the idea that you can't lose your salvation. Don't find yourself ready to fight fighting for the glory of Christ. <laughs> kind of like if somebody came along and gave you an amazing gift, we revel in the gift, but not the gift giver. Nothing wrong with that, right? Is it? Nothing so seriously wrong with that? Especially if they gave you an amazing gift? Something really, really wrong with that. I mean, for example, if, if your heart was failing and you got a heart you revel in reality, you have life, right? But I hope that you really revel in the, the doctor who put it in there, right? Does that make sense? And I hope you revel in the person who was part of the religion. Wouldn't you? And all the processes that went on. I hope you wouldn't revel in you got life. That's kind of shallow, isn't it? You did. You were dying. Weren't you? And someone acted upon you. That makes sense, doesn't it? But for some reason, it comes to Christianity, and we forget that it's Christianity. It's really quickly. I think there's a number of reasons why we do that. We'll talk about that somewhere today. But we get caught up. Let's use the internal security as an example. We're not going to talk about internal security today. The song clicked in my mind. We get caught up in the thing, but we don't get caught up in the one. Let's look at the text this morning. The writer of Hebrews says this. Before I actually read it, let me just say this as well. As we go through this text this morning, there's going to be one or two responses that are pretty natural. And I want to caution us from either one. Response number one is to get our hackles up. To the text and to the explaining of the text. Very easy to get our hackles up to this. So I want to caution you to be careful on that. Number two, it's very easy on caution to say this isn't me too quickly. And yet there are people who need to hear that this isn't me. We need to slow down and evaluate much more carefully, much more cautiously before we move past it. Does that make sense? Go ahead and let's read the text, starting in verse 11. I'm actually going to read through chapter 6, verse 3, but I'm not sure I'm going to get into one of the chapter 6. Starting in verse 11. About this we have much to say, Peter says, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who bids on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, and he is a child. But solid food is what impure, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance that works and a faith toward God, and of instruction about washing, laying upon hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Again, this is not a hard, necessarily a hard text to understand, but it is a very hard text to receive in language itself. The writer of Hebrews has just spent five long chapters interspaced with warnings and cautions, 
with this idea of the supremacy of Jesus Christ as in, in a variety of ways. You look at the of Jesus Christ over angels, over prophets, over Moses, and they connect them to the, the priesthood of Melchizedek. And in the midst of all that, we have these warnings that keep popping up over and over again. And at this point, they have kind of small warnings, important and, and strong warnings, but short. And the warnings are, be careful that you don't get a cold or, or a hard heart about what? About Jesus. That you don't get a cold or hard heart about Jesus. Be careful, and the implication we're talking about every time we come to those passages, be careful because the reason why he says be careful about this or watch over each other and yourselves with regard to this is because it so easily, so quickly, so commonly happens among people who claim to be followers of Jesus. It happens in a variety of ways. And so the warning has come up repeatedly, and now it in a very real way kind of reaches its full flower in the text. And the way it reaches its full flower is here in, in chapter 5, when he says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. So now, instead of just a warning of being careful and watching out in case, the writer of Hebrews writes to the churches, and he says what? It's no longer in case, is it? In his text. Is it in case in the text? Is the idea in case you get hard-hearted or in case you get cold-hearted? Is that the idea of this text? No, it isn't, is it? In this text it says what? Since you have become, there it does, since you are hard-hearted or cold-hearted or hard-hearted, in this case it says what? Dull of hearing. I'll read to you again. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you become dull of hearing. So he says, I got a whole lot more to talk about. And I don't know who's talking about this whole priesthood of Melchizedek thing. But it's much bigger than that. He's encompassing the entire five chapters that you're covered. I've got a lot more I want to say to you about Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot more I want to communicate with you about, he says to the churches, about Jesus, his supremacy, his beauty, his worthiness, his deserved worship, his deserving of your greatest glory, his deserving of your life. There's so much more I want to communicate with you, the writer of Hebrews says to this church. The people of the church, churches. So much more. But he says that these things are really difficult for you. That's really to say, yeah, it really is really difficult for Isn't it? Right? It needs to say that. Yeah, it's really difficult. You're right. You're right, Brother Hebrews. It's really difficult to understand, you're right. But then he goes on and he says, What? Because you don't hear it. That's why it's difficult to understand. 
Now, that doesn't mean everything in the scripture is easy to understand. That doesn't mean that. There's some things in the scriptures that are hard to understand. The writer of Hebrews even says that. And the writer of Peter, in, in first, Peter, first or second Peter, says some of Paul's writings are what? But for the, for the author of Hebrews, he kind of means something different here that is just difficult. As in, you got to really use thinking. That's not really the reference thing here. That's not really the idea. There are some things in the scriptures that are hard, hard, hard to understand. No question. But when he says here, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain to you because you have no Something different is being talked about. This dullness of theory he's talking about has nothing to do with this is a really complex argument. Let's read, for example, Romans. You know it's complex, isn't it? And it's tightly, logically, reason for 11 straight chapters as he develops his argument. And if you don't keep it all together, it confuses you really quickly, doesn't it? It's the nature of Romans. You've got to, wherever you are in the first level chapter of Romans, you always got to be thinking, what do you say in chapter 1? What do you say in chapter 2? What do you say in chapter 3? Isn't that right, Ken? That's the way it is. You're not talking about Romans. They're not. Always got to be referencing back, back, and back, and, and, and folding all that data, all that truth that's been given into wherever you are, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, wherever it is. You've got to work that all the time. If you don't, you're, you're in the weeds. And all sorts of crazy theology poured out of Rome because people aren't doing that. Context is king. That gets things really complex, especially with Paul, because he's so tight in his reasoning. That's not what he's talking about here. When he says, I have much to tell you, I have much to say, and hardly explains that you become dull of hearing, he goes on and explains why, what the effort like is, the best way to put it, is what the evidence is that you're hard of hearing, you're dull of hearing. So we're going to go back to 11 a little bit and try to explain it a little bit further, but let's hear his, his evidence first that people in the church can be dull of hearing. He says, For, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you become the teacher again. The basic principles of the oracles of God. So he tells us one of the examples, one of these illustrations, almost like courtroom scene back right here. Exhibit A. That's what he said. Exhibit A here that you've been dull of hearing. You want to know if you're dull of hearing? The right people say, let me give you exhibit A. He said to the church in Hebrews, the, the churches that are receiving this, this uh, letter, the Hebrew and primarily the Hebrew group, and probably a lot of Gentiles as well. Exhibit A that you are dull of hearing. You should be teachers you're teaching, don't you? That's what he's saying. You want to know if you're dull of hearing? He says to the church, for by now you should be mature, but you're not. You still are in a position where you need to be taught the basic oracles of God. The basic truths of God. You still need to be reminded again and again and again and again of the basic teachings of God. Like a little child, I can reference a child a little bit. When, for those of you who uh, have raised children, or raised children, you know how it works, don't you? 
You've got to remind them of the basic things again and again and again. Except Jim, he didn't do it. They got the time, didn't they? I know, but they got it right away, right? Yeah, first time. You've never had to twice, right? <clears throat> now, the point is, all of us were that way when we were children, weren't we? We had to be told over and over and over and over again, don't believe that. You had to be disciplined again and again and again and again and again. You didn't get the basic oracles of your of your parents at first, did you? And that's okay, isn't it? For a child? That's that's fine. That's that's part of the training process, isn't it? That makes sense? There's nothing wrong with that. Otherwise, you wouldn't need parents. But can I ask you a question? Is something really bad about that when someone's 12 years old, 10 years old, 8 years old, they have to go back and get a body training? Is there wrong with that? Is there really gross about that? Is someone 6 years old and you're still cutting their, their feet up for them? It's sad. Still use a spoon to beat them? Yeah. 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 I see a few people shake their head, yes. By that point in time, say an eight year old. I'm just throwing that idea. An eight year old, kind of physically done. Should an eight year old be able to cut? Cut me? Use a hand? What do you think? To feed himself? You think an eight-year-old possibly could feed someone else? Yeah. Should be able to. Right? Should be able to take a spoon, scoop up some mashed potatoes, and put it in some candy dip in their mouth. Right? That's what Paul's, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews is referencing here. That's exactly what he's referencing when he says, verse 12 again, for though by this time you ought to be teacher, you can teach you again the basic principles of the oracle. By this point in time, and by the way, he's only writing to the church, the church is maybe a few years after they've come to faith in Christ. He's not writing in like the 90s AD. This is relatively soon. And he's writing them and saying, if you come to all hearing, exhibit A, you come to all hearing. He says to the church generally, you all should be teaching. That's what he said. You all should have so much knowledge. Are we getting Please don't disappoint those. Don't let that word knowledge but you all should have, he said, in the writer of the, the churches, he said, you all by now should have so much truth that you're teaching people. That's what he said. But instead, instead of teaching people, you find yourself still in this grotesque position of need to be fed that 
that I've said this before, I'll say it again, how to build a period on the issue of Jesus is not that we're not teacher. You realize that? We're still a teacher. If you have dull of hearing about Jesus, I'm not dull of some hearing something else. You remember one song? Again, quoted. By thy mercy, the fourth verse. When the world around is smiling in the time of wealth and ease, earthly joy, joys our hearts beguiled. The day of wealth and ease. We do find ourselves talking. We do find ourselves teaching. All the time, don't If you're talking, you're teaching. You realize that? It's not just a formal teacher like Sammy. She's got things to teach, right? She's a formal teacher. I'm sorry, Marie. Yeah. Like smiling and like, <laughs> And most. Yeah, Mike, he's here. He's Tom, he's here. But it's not like you guys, and you have to teach us your paid for it, your job, all the rest, you know? That's not what talking about. But we do find ourselves teaching. Is that what you're doing? Teaching. You are. Can't help it. And see, what we find ourselves teaching, forget the flashback for a second, because What we find ourselves teaching demonstrates what we can find ourselves. What has enthralled our hearts. Nothing. You know. An abundance of the heart, the what? We demonstrate all the time for our hearts. Or to put it a different way, we demonstrate all the time the category of dullness in our hearts. For example, if you, if you came and tried to have a conversation with me about high fashion, I guarantee you will find my heart very dull. I mean, they're definitely dull to that. Not only is it dull, as in I don't want to talk about it, I don't even know it. It's dull. Meetings. That's how it's probably right Very dull to that. Does that make sense? I don't know how to find that on this. But my heart is inflamed about other things, right? How many, if I use the illustration, how many Christians are you and I met who are involved in politics? Did you know that? Their heart is inflamed with that, and therefore they do what? They teach. Let's use biblical terms, they teach. People enthralled with sports. So what do they do? Their hearts are playing with sports, they'll do what? They'll teach. It's very clear. Very, very clear. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that 
he writes to the church and he says to them, listen, you can give the base oracles of God, and after you can give the base oracles of God, what happens? What, what's the result of that? Nothing. Almost nothing. You are, you are given by your pastor, he says to them, by the elders teaching you. You're given it through the books, the circular books they go through, all the different books that are being read by the New Testament authors, and they're going through the various churches. You're given it, you hear it, and then what changes? Well, nothing, because what happens next is you have to go over all over again. And then all over again. And then all over again. And then all over again. All over again. It's kind of like trying to start a car when it's too cold out. That make sense? What happens? Turn the key. Um, 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 um. what it sounds like? And it never gets to that. It takes off, right? It never gets it. It's just they're doing that over and over and over and over and over and over. It's resisting starting. Isn't it? Yeah, resistance. You receive the basic oracles of God over and over and over and over again, and yet they don't teach. So let me just stop this for a second and just ask you a question, if I may. This is one of the painful facts of this. Hebrews catalog. Real simple question. Great teacher, there's more of this guy. And you need it, we need to deal with the Do you find yourself teaching? Do you find yourselves by the power of the bringing to light the truth? Market something or market, you got 
then water it down and draw it out. But pretty useful stuff. As I raised my hand, I said, hey, we got something on this table basketball on here. And I said, yeah, I was wondering why we use Facebook there. Why shouldn't we expect the teachers, either the teachers to produce material, or have the elders give us the topic when we work through the materials to develop the material that way? Every central teacher of the church freaked out immediately. I mean, it was like, see, against every central teacher in the church. I didn't intend to do that thing. Because me against everybody. Why? And everybody said, oh, I don't know enough about the church to be able to teach on my own. I need that help. I need this, that, something else in order to do that. And I don't have the time. How can you possibly be taught by the teacher? You can't do the science. How is it possible? How is it possible that you could be in a position of being a teacher when you don't know what to teach and you have somebody else give it to you so you can just reverse it? How is it possible? That doesn't make any sense. You've been saved for how long and yet you have nothing to offer? And so you've got to have material given to you that you work through to present? It sounds to me like what you're all hearing. What do you do with all these messages you've been receiving and your time with Scripture over the years? What has it done? Has it been like a dart against a titanium wall? Or is the heart soft and fleshy and absorbing these truths? Which one is it? How can I hear the Word of God over and over and over and over and over again and read the Word of God over and over and over again and not be able to teach? How much of our reading is because we're, we're expected that we read? How much of our coming to church is because we're expected that Christians come to church? And I wonder how much of receiving the word being preached is just the duty we do, but it never inflames our heart. And I know I've been told, well, Steve, but, but you know, your message don't exactly inflame heart. And you're right, you know. You're right, and that's not the Holy Spirit Now this is where it gets interesting. 
painful. He says to these churches, he says, you need milk. He doesn't say you may or some you're mixed to. He says, you need milk, not solid food. Now, elsewhere in the scripture, milk is talked about the good thing. Here it's not. Here, it's more talking about what do you think? How about nursing? It's an illusion to nursing. You find yourself needing to be nursed, which is really weird and bizarre because you're 12 years old, or 6 years old, or 4 years old. It's really, really strange. You're still crying to be nursed. The basic oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, which is an absolute contradiction. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word righteousness as a child. Now, here's evidence number two. First one is what? What's the first evidence that someone felt here? They're not teaching, right? And you talk the basic oracles of God again, they're not teaching. Basic, and then it goes on to the second evidence that we are dull of hearing is this that we still, and this is where it gets very interesting, because what do they say? For everyone who lives on milk that is needing to be nourished with the basic oracles of God is what? Is unskilled in the word of righteousness as a child. He's unskilled in the word of righteousness. That's the statement he's making here. The writer of Hebrews is saying something really important here. I want you to hear it. He's saying, if I may put it as blunt the way it's possible, you can have your theology together amazingly. You can be able to rattle it off, you know it. Maybe very skilled with data. You've read the theology books, you've read your Bible, cover, 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 cover. You have it together. You can talk about internal security, for example. You can really spew it out. What you know has nothing to do with righteousness. He specifically says you're unskilled with the word of righteousness. That is the word, you don't find the word of God in the milieu of life coming to bear. You don't find the Word of God coming to bear into the situation of life that I find myself in all the time. Because you realize that all of life is moral or immoral, right? It all glorifies God or doesn't glorify God, right? It all does or doesn't. And we find ourselves, we may be mature in knowledge of data, or we may not be. In either case, let's say for sake of example that we have some great wealth of data, knowledge of the truth. We can talk knowledgeably about any of the 66 works of God. We can rather we've been to college, Bible college, we've been to seminary, we've been, you know, maybe we've been listening to messages online every day for 10 years, and let's go to church faithfully, and we take notes even. That's what I mean. That's When it comes to living life, I don't know what That is, I don't find the 
the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God, bringing it there in the balloon, and I'm able to glorify God. That's the evidence I still need to know. That's the evidence that I'm dull of hearing. That's the evidence that evidence number two, that I am a person who is still, he has a hard heart or a cold heart. He can walk through life and and there's baseball bats, spiritual baseball bats swinging my head all day long. And I don't see them. They're there all day. Because I'm running a spiritual gauntlet every single day of my life. Every waking moment of my life is a spiritual gauntlet. Work, family, home, relaxation, whatever it may be, it's a spiritual gauntlet. And there are spiritual baseball bats swinging my head the entire time I'm awake. Trying to crush by the And I walk through life to this I don't see them spiritually. I don't see the things that come my life. Small things, big things. I don't see them and interpret them according to spiritual truth. So, therefore, the word is not the word of righteousness, it's the word of God. But it doesn't. Change me. It doesn't change my trajectory. It doesn't change the way I respond. It doesn't change the way I view, the way I interpret. And so as a result, I don't find myself throughout my day, all the time, saying, again, if I may quote that first song again, God have mercy, oh, deliver us, good Lord. I don't find myself saying that. I got hit by 800 baseball bats this morning, but I don't find myself saying deliver me. I don't even realize I've been pummeled. I didn't realize it. And I have that. And so have you. So I have not received the change of Lest you think that I'm making too much of this idea, verse 14. But solid food is supposed to assure that those who have their power to discern and train by constant practice to distinguish you from people. There in verse 14, he makes himself a covenant. Again, the solid food is supposed to assure that those who have their power to discern and train by constant practice to distinguish good from people. Those who have grown and are growing through from infant, child, and mature adult, spiritually speaking, are people who have received the basic oracles of God and have received them with great joy. Reveled in them by the power of the Holy Spirit and been transformed by them and moved on into adult maturity, adult maturity as evidenced by what? Number one, they're teaching. Number two, they're bringing the word of God 
to their life, they're finding by the power of the Holy Spirit that they are bringing the Word of God into their lives for the purpose of glorifying Him. This means Word of Righteousness. Its purpose is to glorify God. And I'm finding in every single baseball that is hurtling toward my head in this gauntlet, the purpose for this, by God's glory, is for His glory. It's all happening to me to bring glory to God, to wrap it all the way back around to be a teacher of God's glory. But instead, I find myself not mature as evidenced by, and I don't think about all these things happen in my life from a biblical, uh, a God-glorified, God-honored perspective. I think about them all in other ways. It amazes me when I read Facebook. There are a lot of Christian friends on Facebook. I'm stunned by how many Christians post on Facebook statements like, when bad things are happening to them, I don't deserve this. Or why is this happening to me? I'm stunned by those kinds of statements, and many, many others like that. I'm stunned that a Christian would say that. I'm absolutely stunned. Because if we have received the word righteousness, then we're mature and we're going to say what? So that's, we're going to start to sound like Job a little bit in that one passage, right? The Lord gave, the Lord takes away, and that's going to be the Lord. It's a little bit radically different statement than, what is happening here? I deserve better. See these statements? I'm not just picking up anybody, but I hear them all the time. It still amazes me to this day when I get together with the same person who's struggling with something, and I ask these simple ten questions. What's wrong? They don't. They say, oh. Then what have you done about it? They say, oh, right. They say, oh, right. They say, oh, So, what have you found in the scriptures that applies to this? And they look at it and they're like, That's all I ask, well, what, what kind of things have you brought to bear to help you with this problem? Well, I've talked to so and so friend, so and so friend, so and so friend, I read this book and that book, and I was like, what? What? Seriously? Really? I get really discouraged in those type of settings. You know why? Here's why. Because I know how hard somebody really knows. But I know. I know it. I mean, yeah, I know. That would be the problem with explaining people are genius. But I know that unless that dull theory disappears, this doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's going to be like revolving doors in the room. They're going to come back and come back and come back and come back and that's what's going to happen. I see it happen a few times. I'm going to say, you must be a safety. No, 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 it's not. That's what it said. Steve can't say anything about it, but it's going to close to the room. That's what he would have. It's like you don't know what you know. That's me. Really, 
relying on the Holy Spirit changes. I would just ask you and ask myself, I'm very important about this. You see yourself as a prescribed or a court As you look at those evidences of welfare, you see yourself? You see yourself in what perfect kind of world? For a pendant, just kind of God say, God, Steve can't do this. He can't do his own life, no more anybody else. And Change my heart so that I I recognize all the stupid frivolity that I find myself caught up in the worldly pleasures that the first song talked about. Then I'll see you. Change my heart so that in the difficulty of life, I don't find myself questioning. Change my heart so that I walk around Change my heart so that it's not something that, that I feel is required to do, but change my heart so that I so recognize the love of Christ toward me that the love of Christ compels me. Change my heart so that I understand the judgment of God, the fear of God, the house that tells me. Change my